This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's a miracle this got off the ground in the first place. Scott Owen. Adam, that's Park de Prix. Put some respect on the home of Queensland football. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Uh, honestly, I have no freaking clue where we're going to start this week, but it's probably just a sign we've got a lot to talk about on the latest edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another show after what has been a very, 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 very eventful week. It is James Scott and Adam here with you for Clutch Radio as we try and survive this heat wave going through southeast Queensland right now. Adam, we've got the big ball of sweat there on the screen. How are you going? I'm good. It's not really sweat. I think it's actually rain. I'm we're, we're just getting hit by a storm at the moment up up here in uh, in Morton Bay County. And we so, uh, and we also have the ball of sweat with glasses. Scott, how are you going? Uh, it's extremely hot, isn't it? This heat wave thing's quite annoying. But we'll start with the positives, and then we'll talk about that other situation. Yes, we will. And I am, of course, James the sarcastic ball of sweat, as I'm otherwise known as. We will get into the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. But before we do that, we'll do our usual plugs. Uh, the email, if you want to get in touch with us, comments, questions, segment ideas, opinions, rants, pretty much anything. BrisbaneFootballReview at gmail.com. Facebook, you can get in touch with us. The Raw Review. Twitter at BNE Football. And on those accounts, you'll find live coverage of every Brisbane Raw senior match, uh, including tonight's A-League women's match down in Sydney, where the Raw... Players are in action not too long from now when we're talking. So if you are listening to this on Thursday, that's why we haven't got a recap of that game. You can also get our podcast if you're listening to us on Clutch Radio, A-League Live app, as well as Wooshka, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and several other good podcast providers. And I'm sure some average ones as well, but we named the uh, good ones anyway. Right, let's start with Morton Daly Stadium on Saturday afternoon, and the Raw hosted what I think might have been their first doubleheader of the season. Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yes, they went to have one before this, but this was the first one of a couple this year. It's a good idea, isn't it? But that was the first one, yes. Yes, and uh, unfortunately it didn't get off to a great start with the Raw's A-League women's side, and we might lead off with that result, just going chronological order. And we will start with that 2-1 defeat that... It sucked. Football is a cruel, cruel game, as I think we have established many a times, both being on the right and wrong end of those cruel score lines, Adam. But unfortunately, it was just Melbourne City storming home at the death. Yeah, I think the strongest side at the end of the day um, prevailed. Uh, Royal, look, they played all right. Um, I, we thought that they may that they may get sort of run over by an experienced Melbourne City side. They did well to stay in the game as long as they did. Took the lead uh, with a penalty. Uh, it ran about the 62nd minute. Uh, Katrina Gorry icing that, but then basically the um, it told in the end. Um, uh, the the equaliser coming about 10 minutes later, and then uh, Hannah Wilkinson scoring the uh, winner in stoppage time. And uh, yeah, look, uh, disappointing again that the Raw have capitulated in the closing minutes of the match. Um, but I think as a team, I think it's uh, it's a teachable moment. It was, but it shouldn't you know, hide the fact that against a team that was second on the ladder and one that was tipped by many to be a very strong um, side all season, the Raw certainly had their moments. And I would actually say probably if you're scoring it on points, 
at the very least warranted the draw. It is a teacher one, but how many times have they done this this year, James, in terms of being in positions where they've got points in the bank and they're thrown away? The, the Perth game at home? The Perth game away? What, the Canberra away game? Yep. Yep. That's three off the bat. There's probably another, at least another one in there as well, as well as, well as the weekend. So, Adam says it's a teachable moment, but it seems like it's just a continual habit, doesn't it? It's a it's an incredibly annoying one. So I'm sure it's I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating for Gareth McPherson and the players that they keep putting themselves in these positions, playing really well, getting themselves into positions where they can win games, and unfortunately it just slips away at the last ten minutes. I think it's incredibly frustrating, but. It's happened far too often this year, hasn't it? it I didn't say I didn't say that they've learned from their mistakes. It's just it was another teachable moment. Um, as far as yeah, they didn't they didn't defend the uh, the set piece and uh, Hannah Wilkinson, uh, yeah, with using all her experience and the ball just seemed to float over a very helpless Mia Bailey and um, yeah, it just like I said it just you're right. It just seems to be uh, a repeat. I I count four times. Uh, as, you, as you mentioned, where they have blown, uh, they've blown points, um, you know, with, with leads going into the final five minutes. Well, just on that, actually, I'm ne- I'm having a quick look. So that's eight games played this season, and I did see the basis of this uh, on Twitter on Saturday afternoon. But of the Raw's eight games now, by my count, six have uh, featured late goals to determine the result in the final ten or so minutes. So let's so just running through that quickly. Um, Perth round one, uh, they uh, gave up two late goals to drop three points. They gave up a late goal against Perth in round two at home, so they dropped a point there. They uh, gained two points from Melbourne victory in their next game after that, so you're still minus two there. Um, dropped two points against Canberra. Uh, oh, hang on. I got my I got my weeks all mixed up. Never mind. Point is, they've lost more points than they've um, gained with goals in the last minute. But six of their eight matches have featured goals that have altered the result of the match beyond the 80th minute mark. So, look, it doesn't always produce the uh, most satisfying result. But at least Scott, you're guaranteed to get some entertainment watching the Raw women right to the end. You are, and look, they are <laughs> playing quite well. Times aren't they? Again, at the weekend against Melbourne City, a team who I think most people have fancied to be in the grand final, if not trophy winners this year they are they did play very very well for parts of that game and they were on top in the game went one nil up and it did look like it was going to be a crucial three points to to spur them towards the top four spot but again it's the late game fans that are costing them it's not performances because they've been pretty good at times put the put the first half against wellington aside because we've spoken about that a couple of weeks ago for the most part they've been pretty good in the game so it's just they fade out but it's really starting to cost them I think that's probably the most frustrating thing of all is that they are actually playing well, but unfortunately, performance only takes you so far. And then that—that's at the end of the day in the postscript of the game. The point, the the bottom line is they went from a winning position to a losing position, you know, in the space of 20 minutes. So um, at the end of the day, that that's that's a real issue. And uh, I, I think unless they can get get something against the grain against Sydney uh, uh, tonight, uh, I, I almost think they lose tonight, all, all three points, and I think finals might be, you know, basically in the hands of the mathematical positions. Well, look, we'll get on to other teams that are relying on the mathematical later on in the show as well, but you're right. Like, I think that's going to be the story of the season as it stands so far for this side. It's a case of, 
lots of encouraging signs, no shortage of chances created. That's probably the biggest um, takeaway I had from that game was how were they? How was it nil nil at half time? Because they really came out and you know started. I would say on a flyer against Melbourne City, but just couldn't uh, really convert the way that they would have hoped. There were a couple of one on one chances that you know couldn't find their way into the back of the net. Passes that you know were targeting a player that would have normally been in that position, but maybe they changed their run a little bit, and it just didn't work. I just would love to. It's one of those truth serum things I would love to ask, um, you know, Gareth McPherson right now. Is it a case of, um, is it physical or mental where they're really letting themselves down? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because physically they seem to run the games out pretty well. You think about the um, Melbourne victory game where they came over the top in the last 15, 20 minutes, albeit against a player, had a player advantage in that game. But they also ran over the top of Wellington as well. So I'm not sure if it's, if it's a physical thing, I think it it has to be more of a more of a mentally. That would be my guess. Anyway, also also should point out they have been played in the last two because they've had COVID running through the team, and maybe some players were were fading away in this specific instance. But on the most part, I'm not sure that's the case over the course of the whole season, James. Well, I know we were having that discussion at the game on uh, Saturday as well as trying to work out which players were actually you know, fit and uh, ready to go and which ones were possibly, um, you know, out there just to try and uh, help out the team who might not have been 100%. But there were two notable absentees from that match as well, Adam. Uh, Mariel Hecker and Georgie Worth. Yeah, um, I think that's... And that was also a big factor as well. Uh, We we did see uh, Georgie Worth on the exercise bike pre-game, and, and so she, she, she's working her way back to fitness. Uh, Meryl Hecker, I think she will be available tonight um, but based on what Gareth McPherson said after the game. But also as well, uh, one, one thing I think was also a major factor was the uh, what at the time looked like a very serious injury to Captain Ishinori as well that when that I think it also may have also sort of opened the floodgates for Melbourne City to sort of you know get back into the game because when she with her and Katrina Gorry the way they were bossing that midfield um look they, they, they were always yeah I hope with those two in form when she came off uh it seemed to be forlorn but at least the good news of that is that what we thought was maybe season ending and when I say season ending not only this A this A League women's season but also potentially any MPL RW activity as well. Um, at least she was cleared of serious injury from the scans midweek. Yeah, and that was a that was a pair of subs that um, really did change the complexion of the match as well. You had Rikatana going off on the hour mark, but that seems to be a fairly steady substitution um, when Katano starts. Who, like, she was my player of the match in the first half, to be totally honest. And uh, actually, oh yeah, so it was a bit of a loss for her there, but also. Mia Bailey called in to fill in for uh, Worth, despite giving up those two late goals. I don't think there was a whole lot she could have done about that. And also, she had a pretty spectacular save in, in uh, the first half to tip the ball over the basket. No, I don't think Mia Bailey had a bad game at all for her second professional start. You know what I mean? I think one of them was a free kick into the top corner, basically, and the other was a pretty good header. So, not a lot you can do about that. So, for me, I thought she had a pretty good game, but... yeah. 
Yeah, two two set two set pieces yeah. brought brought her and done. The um Ranapolicina free kick. Um I I challenge any keeper in the league to have stopped that. And yeah, the other and the other one look Again, you know, in those in those set piece situations, um, as I said, that you know the ball just flow helplessly over her, but she didn't exactly get too much support from her her defence either. So, um, look, you, you're very very you're very very tough to say that oh, she was responsible for uh, that. What was the game winning goal? No, I don't think you can um, blame any of that on the uh, absence of the number one and Bailey. I thought, for the most part, held her own. However. I do feel like the absence of Mariel Hecker is, was felt a lot more just because of that guile. And we've spoken about how she's gone to another level all season. But And look, McGrath, Kramer, Connors with, you know, the supporting cast behind them. And then eventually Meg McGilligan, who won the penalty uh, for Gory to convert. They just didn't seem to have that edge that uh, Hecker does seem to bring to them this season. Yeah, right. And look, I... That, that, that's we've always said that you know I think we've said in previous weeks you know Meryl Hecker's raised her game where she's gone from you know last season being you know an MPL standout you know you know going to that next level as an A League women's player um, and sort of you know just and featuring whatnot uh, look make no mistake she she is you know integral to this side at the moment she she is well and truly established as an A League women's player and you know it was just noticeable that you know with her missing that that it, it put a lot of uh, it put a lot of you know, creativity in the hands of you know Katrina Gorry and uh, and Ish Nori to sort of produce and not that they did a bad job but you know, to have that other outlet and have this sort of you know the goal that you know, Meryl Hecker does, it was noticeable. And I think that as well, you know, at 1-0 with winning a penalty, you know, that could have been game over by the time that Meg McGilligan was, was um, you know, was fouled to give away that, to, get, to win that penalty in the uh, second half because they may have been 2-3 or three up on City. They, had, they created enough chances that I think Shea Collins had a couple of really good opportunities in the game. It was just before that penalty opportunity. And I, but I do think the absence of Hecker was noticeable. There was a... There was, there was almost like there was one creative outlet missing in that middle to attacking third, wasn't there? It was as much as they tried to fill that gap, James. It was it was noticeable that that Mariel was not there. And it, look, as good a player as Ricatano is, pushing forward, even Katrina Gori when she pushes into attacking areas, the influence Mariel Heck has, and that little bit of guile which you mentioned, I do think that was missing on the weekend. And maybe it would have been the thing that could have unlocked the door to get a second goal, but. But there were chances created. We have to say that there were, it wasn't like the rule were bereft of chances in the game. They certainly had three or four good opportunities over the 90 minutes to score another goal, and they weren't able to take it. It was also as well. So just one more thing I want to add to that is that it was then compounded by the fact is that when Ishinori went off for the injury, Katrina Gori had to play that screening six role as well, which really then you know any sort of push as far as you know a second goal was really negated because Katrina Gori had that additional responsibility of not only you know, having to push forward but also as well as screen the defenders. So um, yeah, that that was such a timely blow to lose lose her when. Um, they did, and then also as well losing Cannon Cloth as well um, to a head injury. Uh, that that was also telling as well because I thought Cannon Cloth had an excellent game as well in an unfamiliar left back role. Well, you say it was unfamiliar. That was actually where she started playing for Lions in 2019 before shifting over. But you're right, different. Yeah, set- unfamiliar <laughs> at the raw level, yes, but not unfamiliar 
in her I don't, career. I don't remember that. I thought she played centre back. No, I can actually re- no, remember. Think, yeah, okay. I think about I'll stand corrected. Yeah, there you go. That's what happens when you actually watch NPL, Adam. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that. Anyway, I had to get that. Outstanding <laughs> drive-by. I absolutely enjoyed that. Yeah, well, I think we're all a bit punchy after this morning's uh, result, but yeah. again, more on that later. Um, let's hear from uh, Gareth McPherson and what he had to say after the match. Disappointment. We've been talking about wanting to win a game in front of the home crowds and more confident going in. Prepared really well through the week, even with some players in and out because of COVID and um, yeah I, again we're at the back end of a game we seem to be conceding admittedly two set pieces but uh, they're in areas where they're getting fouled um, to get those set pieces and that was Gareth McPherson after the rules 2-1 loss to Melbourne City is Adam's still laughing to himself at that drive by <laughs> I'll get you. <laughs> I have no I have no doubt. I've got a pretty big target on me in case you didn't know. Anyway. But I might escape this week. Just, just you wait. Anyway. Um, yeah. I'm, I suppose as well, the last point I really wanted to touch on from this match as well is the fact that it was, for all intents and purposes, a makeshift um, or a chop and change back four that was missing what had been uh, its rock with Jesse Rashett um, moved back to uh, the bench. I'm assuming that was going to be, let's call it health-related, keep it uh, diplomatic and somewhat vague. Um, And yeah, she was uh, on the bench, which then forced Jamila Rankin into central defender. And to me, it was an improvement over her last uh, few outings in that role. Um, What about you, Scott? It was. I'm not, I'm still not 100% convinced that's Jamila's best role move. It's not. I think she's better I think she's much better to me in that left fullback role attacking, but I thought Gannon Clough Dunham's point was very, very good in that role. And the Maxwell back four worked together quite well for the majority of the game, didn't it? So it was certainly a, an improvement for Jamila in that position. If it is a position that Jamila's going to play moving forward in her career, I, I, I wonder if Tony Gustafson will get to him later on as well. If he was looking at her playing in that role for the national team, given the camp she was called up into, perhaps going moving forward. But it was an improvement, there's no doubt about that for her in that position. Yeah, it was. Adam. Even if I don't think it's her best one. Yeah, I was going to say, look, I'm not I'm not a fan of Miller Rankin playing at centre back because I think she's a much more uh, she's much more accustomed at fullback. But to Scott's point, which I absolutely 100% agree, is that if that's what the the challenge that's been laid out that will get her further in her career, uh, now would be the time for her to get experience at centre back. And for me, and for me, that's exactly what it is. It's a case of. You know, you do one thing well, but as we have seen with quite a few players in that Matilda setup, it's not just what one thing can you do, it's how many ways can you help the team. And that isn't just a recent thing under Tony Gustafson. I, like having players that can operate in two, three, four different roles to try and get them in a um, better situation, that should uh, help them out overall. Scott, I pointed at you. So I was sorry, I was actually just focusing on the team for the A-League Women's Match Stadium, so I apologise on that, but um, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Now you throw me under a nice bus. Thanks, sir. You really are in some trouble right now. Yeah, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm on a different side of town to Adam, and yeah, anyway. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I think that's pretty much all we really can say on the Raw Women, because, well, there is a chance that uh, this will all be out of date by the time you're listening to us uh, tomorrow morning, but... 
we will just finish off with the three, two, ones. Thank you, Scott. I thought you were going to say that out loud and throw me under the bus for that. I should have. I really should have. That's it. Next time, next time I'm going to. I think I might have just grabbed myself by the scruff of the shirt and thrown myself in front of the bus. So there you go. <laughs> we're going to need new people on this show if we're going to keep throwing each other under the bus all the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, who's got the three, two, ones for this? Yep, one? I, I've got three, two, ones for um, for the. Uh, the women's game three points Katrina Gorry uh, look what, what, what more can you say she's just the uh, she is the uh, engine and the, and the heart of the side at the moment you know, when she's playing well the Royal playing well two points Cannon Cloth excellent left back and uh, one point Anna McGrath I, I thought you know back back to back to her right fullback role again I think say applies um, look I'd rather her be forward but she's she's doing a good job um, in, in that role and um and yeah, like I think, uh, like I said, she, she's having a good season. Just like to see a few more goals from her. Exactly. Well, certainly we'll keep. A bit harsh. You want more goals from the right back? Right Just back, quietly. right wing, whatever. Uh, Very good player. Now let's move yeah. on to later Saturday night, as uh, thankfully the temperature began to drop out at Morton Daly Stadium. But the raw, well, that was honestly the best I've seen them uh, look in the A League men's thus far as a took advantage of what was, let's be honest, a pretty average Western Sydney uh, side to come away with a 3-0 win, Scott. Yeah, well, we'll do you want to get the 30 seconds about the Wanderers out of the way, then we'll move on from there, because they were absolutely abysmal, weren't they? And what happened with them on the Sunday with a change of coach well, isn't too much a surprise, given the performance they put in after a month off. So we'll leave it there with the Wanderers. With Brisbane, you're right, I thought it was their best performance of the season. OK, it was against the Wanderers, but it was their best performance and it was from basically a minute one as well wasn't it right from the start they came out with that it meant that that front foot mentality that we saw in the last couple of games as well and they made it made it count once again and this time they went on with it against the side which is devoid of confidence and they built some confidence of their own as well so for Warren Moon I'm sure it was a tough week, week with four games in 11 days but there's plenty of now that for him to take out of this game going forward as well for another midweek fixture there's a lot to take out of that game from a Brisbane Royal perspective and just on that as well, yes, okay, I know I opened up with the, you know, uh, podcast equivalent of an asterisk and saying that it was, you know, against an average Wanderers side, but I don't care. Like, that was exactly what we would have wanted from the Raw, and that's what they should be doing to sides when they're playing the way that the Wanderers are. It doesn't matter if it's... You put them away. Yeah, exactly, and that is what they did. And I think, you know... The best part of it all is you can look at the 3-0 result and say it could very easily have been a much bigger margin of victory. And that's probably what Warren Moon has got to be uh, saying to the side afterwards as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That uh, I think Wanderers, to be honest, they were lucky nine, not to not concede more than three. Uh, you know, Nik- Nikola Mulyuznic, who you know, had an absolute, you know, probably his best game um, by far. In in the uh, in the orange and black and 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 no, so that it could have been much more. But uh, look, I think the I think the lesson that Warren Moon were taking out of it is that you know you worry about yourselves and and at the end of the day, yes, we know that Wanderers were were sort of you know, a, t- a team in crisis. Uh, that they are the first game in twenty days or whatnot. But at the end of the day, you're not going you're not going to show sympathy to them. And uh, and like I said, that you know at the end of the day, the makers their own demise. And uh, look. 
the Wanderers as badly as they played uh, end up getting their coach fired. So uh, interesting times for them, but I think as Raw fans and I guess the Raw players in general, you know, you move on and uh, the focus now is Newcastle uh, tomorrow night as we record or Thursday night. Yes. Well, just on that, I want to run through a couple of quick stats. So 40% of possession for the Raw, 17 attempts on goal to eight, seven shots on goal, uh, six off target and four blocked. So, and, and that was compared to eight goal attempts um, total for the Wanderers. One of those shots, one of their two shots on target was that free kick from Dimi Petratos at the end, which, you know, amazing effort by Freak to deny that as well. And I would love to know if that second shot on target was officially uh, the follow-up attempt from that as well. Could well be. All that says is really they were just ponderous of possession, weren't they, the ones? They didn't, weren't really any great threat in the game. It was very, very comfortable for the Raw. But again, they made it comfortable for themselves by being on the front foot from minute one, putting the Wanderers on the back foot, getting the early goal, and continuing going on with it. And there were some really positive signs, weren't there, from some of the players who we haven't seen a lot of. So Henry Hall, for example, he, that was by far his best game on the right-hand side. His combinations in the, on the, that right-hand side really started to click. It was the, it was the path to the first goal, and he made real strides as a player. Oh, it made a real impact in the game for the first time in his A-League, short A-League career. So there's a lot you can take out of it from Brisbane's perspective, isn't there, despite the Wanderers and their performance. For sure. We'll uh, come back to that in a second, but it's funny you mentioned Henry Hoare. This is what Warren Moon had to say on the uh, young winger after the match. Yeah, he's done well. He's done well. We want more from him, but he's done well, and uh, you know we believe he's good enough to be at this level, and he showed tonight he's a good player. He's contributed already, and... Uh, yeah, uh, there's more to come from him. All right, that was Warren Moon afterwards. And, uh, yeah, I, I've got to admit, he's probably been the biggest surprise for me so far this season in terms of a guy who, uh, there, there's no other way to say it, he was thrown in out of necessity. We were talking before the match when the Raw put out their squad news, which thankfully clubs are starting to do that again because I know those first few weeks of the season trying to navigate who was in and out really wasn't fun. But now that we... like. Now that we were um, saying on Thursday when the uh, news came out that it seemed like Lascano was going to be lucky to make the bench, Demi was out, Parsons uh, looked like he was going to be unavailable. We were a little bit, uh, I suppose, hesitant to say that the Raw were going to do, well, pretty much what they wound up doing. Yeah, look, it was... Um... Yeah, Henry Hall has just been a complete you know, surprise packet. Like we, we all know, we've we watched... It. We have watched MPL. Um, we have, have you? Actually, actually, well, this would probably be a good sign to say, uh, good time to say, NPL Sunday night coming back uh, in the not too distant future. Isn't that right, Adam? Uh, yeah, that's why Scott's not. He'll, he's lucky now. We've got a whole season to get at him. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, look back back to back to the point. Um, yeah, but we we sort of we didn't we didn't sort of have much. Um, I guess in the way of in terms of expectation, we thought that this might be a longer project. You know, getting Henry Hoare to become you know a top line. You know, you know a I guess a starting player in. Uh, in the A League, and look in, in five in five games, he's gone from you know pretty much rookie, you know, oh come on garbage time and get some experience to you know to a player who is actually shaping games, and you know last couple of performances have been have been excellent from him. And on that as well, look no further in his involvement in that first goal that was, you know, a very deft finish from uh, Nikola Milayuznic, but that build up play that we saw from O'Shea and Hoare to get the ball uh, to Milayuznic, I think was 
arguably more impressive than the goal. And that's what I was, I was about to mention. I won't spend the last couple minutes praising the impact of Henry Hoare, but we also need to mention the impact of the key players in this side standing up and making it count on Saturday night. And you mentioned Jay O'Shea. I think it was his best game of the season. He's starting to really build into a really impactful player again. He was starting to see real impact from him in that front third, which is great to see. Also, we'll get to Ramadan Akbar a little bit. Also, Nikola Milajuznic and a couple and Matty Stein. Well. It's key senior players who I've had a little bit of a shot at in the last couple of weeks. They really made a point as James is about to pick his jaw up off the floor here any second now. But the key, the key senior players really did stand up on Saturday night, didn't they? And that was important to go along with the younger players. I think that's the point. Well, well, that, that you make a well, good point you make about Jay O'Shea, and it wasn't just him. Yeah, look, I'd actually, I'd even extend it past as well. And uh, again, he preys on Scott Neville and Kytrun, um in the in the fence, and like I so said, that's that spine of the raw. All of a sudden, when that's when that is solid, um, look, yeah, then everything takes over. Like I said, you've obviously got the the um, you know, the fullbacks in and Brown and Hingott, you know, who obviously you know, they were their reliable selves. But uh, yeah, look, all, all through that middle, you know, from from you know, defence right up to attack, uh, look, that was a good performance. It it really was, and I think the biggest thing I took away from that match was when uh, Toma Hamed uh, got subbed off. My first reaction was, "Geez, I really don't remember him doing a whole lot of anything in that match." And that's a testament to what that uh, defensive group have done, shutting out a player that, you know, on his day, I would say is one of the more dangerous strikers in the entire competition. So that, to me, is something that you really have to, uh, you know, credit the two centre-backs. And it's a nice reminder that um, Tom Aldridge's return sounds like it's getting closer and closer. Where is he going to fit in? That's where I'm, you know, looking forward to now, because... Again, with all due respect to the club captain, I can't make a good case for dislodging either of those uh, players. Yeah, how do you drop Kai Truon at the moment? He, w- he would probably be in the top one or two players for the Raw of the season so far, wouldn't he? So how do you leave him out? Do you go back to a back three? Do you move him to right fullback? We saw him play that position. I think it was at Western United. They played him at right back in a four. So yeah, is that, what they, is that how they fit him into the side? But you can't leave him out at the moment. His form dictates that he has to be in the team. He's been absolutely outstanding to Adam's point. But that is also, I suppose, you know, what Warren Moody's hopefully going to be dealing with as uh, the season goes on, where he's now actually got to make some tough calls where he's got, you know, more than 11 healthy players to start a match with. It's a decent headache to have for Warren Moon, actually, because, yeah, look, and also as well, it takes the pressure off um, Tom Aldred as far as, you know, being rushed back. You know, maybe, you know, with the form that Neville and Truen are in at the moment, uh, look, there's probably, there's probably no need to, to rush him back. You know, like I said, hamstrings at, at his age as well, um, you don't you don't want to rush it. So as long as those two are playing at the top of their games... I don't think it's get, I don't think it's a real issue as far as you know Tom Aldred being rushed back into the starting lineup. Um, can I just say, as someone who's eleven months older than Tom Aldred, can we just be very careful about using the phrase "hamstrings" at his age? Yeah, but you, have, you, have, you also haven't played ten seasons of professional football, especially in England. So very true. But uh, let's just uh, be careful about what phrases we're throwing around here. Anyway. Hey, I was, I, was joking, I was joking before, Melissa Barbieri is the same age as me, and she's doing pretty well, so... Yeah, actually, just on that as well, I will um, mention, we had um, 
yeah, bit, bit of fun on um, Saturday. I got to join Hinksy on the sidelines out at Morton Daly Stadium. That was quite a lot of fun. And uh, while we were, um, Melissa Barbieri ran past me while I was in between uh, interviews with him, and first thing I said to her was, you just had to make that save at the end, didn't you? Yeah, so that was good fun. Anyway, Scott, you look like you're... Yeah, this is this has been the throw run under the bus episode, and I'm going to start right now. Continue right now. Football expert, huh? When did you get that certificate? <laughs> uh, when their first 12 options were unavailable. <laughs> I think I think you guys were about 17th and 18th on the list. Jeez, I'll take <laughs> that. I'm, I'm stunned to be that high up the list, to be honest. Well, we're nothing if not self-deprecating on the Brisbane football When you football give yourself review. your own title, you can call yourself anything you, anything you like. Isn't that right, James? Yes, and for, and for future reference, you will refer to me as Lord James. That's a self-professed title. Awesome. <laughs> no, no. All right. Anyway, back to the Raw. Well, yeah, anyway, so Tom Aldridge. Yes, Mr. Football Expert, please analyse this game for us. Raw, good. Wanderers, not good. Oh, that's pretty fair. Yeah. But anyway, so it was what precipitated the departure of Carl Robinson uh, for the Raw. And now the question is, how well are they going to be able to back up uh, tomorrow night as we're recording when they travel down to the Hunter to take on the Newcastle Jets, Adam? Look, it's going to be an interesting one because we haven't seen too much of Newcastle as far as... um Obviously, well, they've been flying well under well under the radar. Obviously, because they obviously the games have been very few and far between because of their COVID issues and whatnot. So again, it's another game like we previewed against the Wanderers. Um, this this could be anything, but look, Raw are at least they're battle hard and they're they're playing weekly. So I would expect them to you know show initiative in the front foot, but I wouldn't discount Newcastle. They they're a very well coached team under Arthur Pappas. I think they I think them and the Mariners both at the moment are proving to be the real surprise packets um, of the league. Oh, oh look, I you know, I did the preview for that uh, match today, and I honestly could only really sum it up in one simple word: goals. I think there's going to be a plethora of chances and it's going to be decided by which side is able to take them the best because from, you know, before they had their enforced hiatus, the Jets were playing some really good open attacking football, Scott. Well, they had a nil-all draw last year, so anyway, between these two <laughs> sides. But they've certainly happened. The Royal had the, the number of Newcastle in the last few games. But before I get into the actual game, um, right back to the start, Warren Moon actually scored in the first game between these two sides, funnily enough, so... Well, there you go. That's a fun little stat for you, but I think Newcastle have been playing really well for me. They're at, they're at the bottom of the table right now, but to me, that's a that's a lack of games played, not a lack of performance. I think they've been really good. That centre forward they brought in is it Becker, Mikel Tadzi? Mikel Tadzi, yeah. Tadzi, yeah. He's been really, really good. I've, I've really enjoyed watching him play so far this season. He hasn't played enough games because Newcastle haven't played enough games, but I think they're a, they're a pretty good side, Newcastle, and I think having a home game for them two in a week... This is an interesting opportunity for them. For the Raw, it's a great opportunity as well, isn't it? They've just beaten the Wanderers who are near enough at the bottom of the table. They've only played Newcastle, I think, are officially at the bottom of the table. So it's a great opportunity for the Raw to potentially push into that top six race at a, at a ground where they've got a pretty good record, actually. This is one of those weird A-League fixtures where the away side is, is far better than the home side historically. So the Raw play well down there in the Hunter. I think this is a really good opportunity for them. If they can, if they can carry this form... From Sun from Saturday night on, I think they've got a really good chance of winning this game. For sure, and you did mention the Jets are. So at I the don't bo- know if I answered your question or not. No, you really didn't. But who cares? <laughs> not the first time. 
Yeah, exactly. The Jets are on the bottom of the table, but I kind of feel like until we probably hit even April, we're not going to really get a fair read on how a lot of these sides are uh, placed just because of the fact that, you know, uh, two teams have played 10 matches. The Jets are one of the two teams that have played six, the lowest in uh, the A-League men's competition as well. And if they win on uh, Thursday night, they could leapfrog the Raw. So it's not like it's necessarily a you know, a fair read of uh, the situation so far. So I'm, I'm going to be generous and say, you know, they're better than their position on the table, which I don't think is all that unfair. Um, they're definitely better than that. Arthur yeah. Pappas has got them playing quite well, so... They do. And, you know, it might be, you know, finding a way to scrape a draw in a match that they otherwise could have lost. It might have been, you know, beating a team that some might not have expected them to. I think it's going to be a really interesting measuring stick for both teams. Now... Before I forget, three two ones for Raw versus Western Sydney Wanderers. Scott, I'm looking at you. Yep. So three points for Nicola Miller. He scored two goals and had an outstanding performance. That was that speaks for itself. Two points for Henry Hall. We spoke in depth about him quite earlier. And one point for Jay O'Shea. I thought his midfield performance was outstanding. And that assist, by the way, for the third goal, which we haven't mentioned, the Rabadak Bari goal, his first goal cool. in the A League. Man, that was a great assist from Jay O'Shea to tee him up in a great moment for Rabadak Bari. So that's my three two one. There we go. And for those of you who might be uh, tuning in for the first time, we do the three, two, ones after every Raw men's and women's game. And at the end of the season, we will have a player of the season. Adam tabulates the votes. All three of us vote on every game, but we only announce one per match. That sound about right to you, Adam? That's correct. And uh, yeah, just for those who may listen for the first time, Ricky Danzaki is the uh, reigning uh, Brisbane Football Review Men's Player of the Year, and Emily Gilnick is the reigning Women's Player of the Year. So uh, obviously neither of them are going to defend their title, but uh, yeah, look, it's uh, it's I can tell you that you know, being the boat master, it's uh, shaping up a very interesting races in both uh, both divisions. For sure, and you never know how things are going to go. I do remember last year, we copped a bit of flack for having Joey Champness so high in the standings, but it was when he got votes, they came in big blocks as well, where I think he would get like eight of nine possible points uh, for like three weeks in a row or something. So, you know, that all you really need is a couple of uh, good games and you're right in the mix. Now, we do have one brief bit of news that we do need to get to. It is transfer season at the moment, and uh, one outgoing uh, departure was announced for the Raw, but thankfully, the flight out of Australia has been delayed as Katrina Gorey will finish the season with the Brisbane Raw women before moving over to... Oh, give me a second here. Vizio. Close enough. Uh, yep. Which, funnily enough, is the club that Claire Polkinghorne went to before uh, before last year's semi-final. So... Um, Gary was asked about that. This is what she had to say about the pending move for her ahead of the coming season. Yeah, I'm really excited. I spoke to Polks obviously quite a bit when she was here about about the club and um, she only said positive things that they're, they're a family club and that's really what I'm big on and um, when I had Harper I promised her and my family that I'd do whatever it took to get my to get myself back in the national team and um, in contention for that 2023 World Cup. So obviously um, a move to Sweden um, is now on the cards and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing games um, and consistent games and yeah, putting my hand up for the next selection. I guess 
selfishly from a visual point of view, we're pleased to at least have you until the end of the season. Is that something that's sort of factored into the decision at all? Yeah, absolutely. Brisbane Raw have been a massive support for me um, after coming back from Harper and um, I wouldn't want to leave them halfway through the season. I, I love playing with this group and uh, this season has been really special for me. So yeah, I wasn't going to cut it short and, and head somewhere else. So uh, it was really nice that Sweden kind of fit in perfectly with the end of the season for here and I'll, get, I'll head over straight after the season. And I think overall, it's uh, it's an exciting move for Gary. You know, we really do hope it goes well for her. And it seems like it's being done with the Matildas in mind, Adam. Yeah, I just uh, I did see on Instagram um, that Katrina actually signed the contract. I just I couldn't zoom in close enough. It, if, if it actually had on the bottom Katrina and Harper, because <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but look, uh, in all in all seriousness, um, yeah, we always thought that you know once Harper got old enough, and you know obviously playing out through this, this W League season, that you know until A League women's. A League Women's, you uh, use the old branding. Oh, did I? Oh, I'm ah. There we go. It's a dog in the sledge jar. Um, <laughs> yeah, that obviously uh, that the the um, the World Cup here next year was going to be a priority, and well, I think the form that she's carried in the A League Women's um, has like, certainly definitely um, justifies you know, a stint overseas. And look at the moment, given uh, what's going on with the national team. It should be a good, good shot at uh, playing in front of family and friends um, next July. Should be a walk-up start given some of the performance of the Asian Cup, but we'll get to that later on. It's, it's a great move for Katrina, and we all knew that this was coming. It was, we know that she was back in Australia largely to give birth to Harper as well as to play this season out with the Raw, but it was always in the cards that Katrina was going to go back over to Europe and continue on with her career with that, with this goal in mind. So this is not. A surprise there, and the good thing is that Katrina will be hanging around for the remainder of this A-League Women's season with the Raw. So her experience in this in this Brisbane Raw squad will not be lost. She will be a part of this squad till the end of the season, and then she'll move on to play alongside Claire Bochman over at Vitcho, which is a great move, and I'm sure she'll be back in the national team without too much more of a delay, potentially at the Algarve Cup in a couple of months' time. Yeah, and uh, I, th- I think the fact that she is staying around is going to be really helpful for. Uh, the Raw squad as it stands because, um, yeah, I think they're going to find a way to... What's, yeah, they're going... To, I, I feel like the role that she's taken up this year has been as much of a mentor as it is key player in the side. And it seems like a lot of those younger players are sitting there going, all right, I need to learn everything I can from her while I can. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to see that she's still staying around because I think we were all a little bit worried that it was going to be a case of, all right, uh, I'm out of here now. Bye. The comparison is like the Emily Gilnick and Claire Polkinghorn last year, wasn't it? When they stayed for the regular season but couldn't stay for the finals. They had to get over there to start the season. So the good thing is it sounds like Katrina's going to be here. So that's a positive. For sure. Right. Well, that was the uh, Brisbane Raw segment of the show. Now, if you think this is going to be it, brace yourselves. We've still got a lot to get into and... We may as well start on Sunday night with the Matildas, who crashed and burned out of the Asian Cup much earlier than pretty much anybody thought they were going to. And it was a 1-0 loss to South Korea. Yes, it was South Korea. And, yeah, it was a 1-0 loss that, quite frankly, it, it sparked a lot of debate, Scott, but above all else... 
the Asian Cup for me was an absolute failure for the Matildas. What about you? First of all, congratulations to Career Republic. You played well and you deserved the win. Secondly, James, this is though no, they did. They played well. Put the refereeing aside might be later on, but they played well. Secondly, this is the worst week Australian football has had in the Asian Confederation. We'll get to the men in a minute, but James, wrap this around your head for all. This is the best Matildas team we have assembled. And yet if if FIFA and their infinite wisdom said Colombia are hosting the World Cup, next year we're not going. We would not have qualified. Wrap that round your head. This is it is a failure. There's there's no getting around it. When you lose in the quarterfinals with the squad that we have assembled, regardless of the individual circumstances in the game, it's a failure. There's no getting around that. And the, look, to me they panicked. It was it wasn't going to plan. They weren't comfortably ahead in the game. In the, in the second half, they started to panic. And yes, they had. And to be fair, Lydia Williams had to make two unbelievable saves. One, the penalty was was skied, but she had to make a couple of really good saves in the game. So, to me, Korea did deserve their win, and it raises a lot of questions about the, the direction that this Matildas team going forward. And not just the Matildas, by the way. Australian football as a whole has some serious lessons to learn, which I might get into in a minute. But we've got some serious lessons to learn about comp- competing in Asia at the highest level because if we keep going down the path we're going, this will keep happening. Well, let's just go, let's just run through starting with the game overall. And yeah, the, the Matildas just could not finish. Even Sam Kerr, I thought was bang average, you know, when she was having a good passage of play. Not to mention the absolute sitter and open goal that she missed beforehand. But that penalty from Cho So Hyun... I'm pretty sure it landed somewhere uh, in the middle of Pakistan in terms of how that was hit. And it would have been one of those situations where I think when we were talking with about 20 minutes to go, one of us said, uh, might have been me saying, is this either going to be a 1-0 uh, win that gets called brave and, uh, you know, fighting spirit from the Aussies when they're not playing at their best, or a cruel, heartbreaking 1-0 defeat? And quite frankly, calling it cruel and heartbreaking was would be an absolute load of bollocks for me. They were awful. They, you know, congratulations, you put 18 past Indonesia or whatever, dominated the group stage, and then when you faced an actual, actually competent opponent, you whittled under the pressure. And, and you know, you can blame, you know, there was uh, calls, you know, for Tony Gustafson to be the one to go. I know you were on that, uh, that train there, Scott. But... For me, that if you uh, make Gustafsson the scapegoat, that's letting the players off the hook as well. There were far too many moments in that tournament where they were just absolute crap. Yeah, uh, look, we're unpacked. First of all, um, look, I'll echo sentiments uh, about about Korea. Look, perfect game plan. Uh, I think we all forget as all well, uh, Ji So Yun. She she plays with Sam Kerr at Chelsea. She she is pretty much the equivalent of Sam Kerr is to us as what uh, G, uh, she is to Korea. So um, it was a great strike. Uh, Lee Williams didn't have a chance. So it's not, it's just one of those things. But this is you can tell that this was brewing. You can you tell that yeah this this is not something that's like yeah the the, the whole oh. It's a heart. It's a heartbreaking defeat. No, no, because uh, they should have had this. They should have had it wrapped up. And look, and that's the thing is, we can all say, "Oh, Sam Kerr missed an open goal," but why is it? Why is it that the structures of this Matil side, which assembled, is probably yeah, as I said, the best side at least in a generation 
you know, maybe save the uh, 2010 winning team, which Sam Kerr and a number of players were a part of. But this is certainly the, be the best uh, possible team almost that we could put, put out there. And they failed. They, 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 it's simple. They failed. And, you know, what, what really annoys me and what really... Because I'm not, I'm not going to go over... I, I share sentiments with Scott. I share sentiments with you, James. But the one part that I am really, really, you know, really sort of fired up about is this whole notion of this is a bigger deep-seated issue than 90 minutes of, on the pitch in Pune in the middle of the day you know, and you know, they're out of, the, out of the Asian Cup. There's a lot more to this. And, you know, what I'm sick and tired of hearing are these apologist journos who are going around saying the words oh, to the rest of us, oh, you don't know what is going on. Well, why don't you bloody tell us what's going on? Tell us what's going on. Why has the best Matilda team in a generation failed in their attempt to, to win an Asian Cup, which should have been the pass mark for Tony Gustafson. And yeah, you're right. I think he should be sacked. But look, at the end of the day, and I say he should be sacked, but then the players don't get off scot-free because then whoever the next coach is can get, get rid of the Deadwood and actually get players who actually, you know, are going to make a sizable contribution. Well, on that as well, I, yeah, I, I could say a lot about some of the apologists who say it's part of a plan. You know what it actually reminds me of? And forgive me for going off into another sport here, but it's some of the like apologists for Bill Belichick, you know, I always hear when the New England Patriots lose a regular season game they weren't supposed to. Oh, he, he meant to lose that game. It's fine because then he can use that to send a rocket shot up the players. It's like, no. At what point do you actually schedule a loss unless, you know, a Serie A player in the early 2000s, but that's a different uh, sort of match fixing. But for me, I just, I don't understand how you can make a legitimate case that this was, you know, somehow a good result. Now, look, if we're, you know, talking about this in 18 months that the, you know, Matildas find a way to win the World Cup and we go back and find out this was in fact the turning point where a lot of the players and the staff and all the officials, you know, pulled their respective heads out of the sand and said, oh, no, no, we can't just turn up and beat any team on our day. Well, that, that's, that's, then, to me, that, yeah, that's good. That's, yeah, that's great. But right now, we can only evaluate it on what we're seeing. And quite frankly, there are far too many players just coasting there. You look at the game-winning goal, yes, fantastic shot. But you look at the space that G had. Awful. It was... You look at the players just walking around there going, eh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, she shot. Whoop-de-doo. And these are the players, that you, and some of those players were leaders. And this goes on to my next point, and we'll go to you on this, Scott. How is it that all these players are suddenly going to Europe where they've got, you know, they're supposedly getting uh, a chance to really improve? How is it that out of that team, only Ellie Carpenter has, you know, materially improved as a footballer from that big money move to Europe? Everyone else has, you know, either stagnated or, I would say even, dropped off. Firstly, swear Jar for bringing up New England for you. But to your point, how many of them actually go over there and actually play games consistently? That's what I would... I'm not I'm not sure they're all quite regularly playing games over there. I think that's a big, big point you make. Look, Sam Kerr plays regularly over there. We've seen the evolution of her game to where she's taken it. Ellie Carpenter but, but plays regularly yeah. all the time and where her game is taken. Hayley Rasso plays regularly and we didn't see her on the weekend. That brings me to my point as well. But we've got to break down this whole thing, like this whole tournament. Tony Goodson said 
judge me on tournament mode. Don't judge me on friendlies because I'm experimenting and trying things. But in tournaments, judge me there. Okay, Olympics, pretty good. Fourth place, albeit with only part of the top teams of the world there because not everyone can qualify for the Olympics. Asian Cup, first game, okay, look, they smacked Indonesia. That's fine. We can talk about whether he should or shouldn't have made subs for you want, but to me it's now an irrelevant point. The game against the Philippines, they struggled to win that game. That was not a comfortable performance. The game against Thailand, they only won because they brought on the likes of Sam Kerr in the second half to manage the game out. And Korea was a mess. And also, where were the changes to this on Sunday when it wasn't working? It was evident after 60 minutes that that plan that he has in action was not working. And he did not make the required changes. How did Hayley Razzo not come on until it was 2-1, for example, when you've got players in the front third struggling to make a contribution in the wide areas? I just don't understand the squad management and the strategy. And I think there has to be some very serious questions asked along that path, James. Yeah, I, I think I don't think right. players and not for... playing in Europe is the issue either. No, because even so, they're still training at a very high level, largely year-round, I would assume. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I think, but what it comes down to is that you know the, you know we all we all sort of made bold claims before the tournament started. Oh, Australia should win. They they will win. And you know what? When you're the number one seed at a tournament, you know technically the number one team in Asia, save save some technicality where North Korea are ahead of them. I don't know how that how that even. I works. think that's the uh, Kim Jong yeah. his face rankings. Yeah, but Careful, but it, but any, but either way, you know, it's, it's, if you're the number one team, you are the hunted. You're not the hunter. Like I said, there's none of this underdog bull, you know, of, of you know, relying on, oh, you know, we're the underdog, so we're going to be under the radar. You are, the spotlight is on you. And, you know, if you don't perform or you sort of, you know, put in some, you know, pretty sort of you know, poor performances and... Look, they never really look comfortable. Other than, you know, smacking Indonesia, which, you know, again, you'd almost say it's, it's all good to be to finish the group stage with 24 goals. But what, what, does, what, does that, what has that achieved? Absolutely nothing. So it, it's, just, it's just a case of... I think the, there's a larger problem at work here. And as far as, you know, competitiveness ahead of the World Cup, um, look, this is more than just a setback. Because at the end of the day... You look at all the friendlies and whatnot. Um, other than the win over that composite team GB at the Olympics, the, the, the Matildas have not beaten a top-ranked team in the world. They're, they're, that's ahead of them. Like I so said, they've lost. They've lost three times to the USA. They lost three times to Sweden, Germany, and Netherlands. You know, beat them. You know, beat them by five, or at least scored five on them. Um, and the only, th- only team is Brazil, where they'll they were sort of, you know, competitive against. And, look, Brazil are not exactly the, the, the powerhouses they were once upon a time. So, uh, look, I, there's a lot more to this, and things have got to change and change fast. And, you know what, people have the right to ask if they they are quite Australia's favourite team. Well, Australia's favourite team has gone very, very sour for a lot of people because, at the end of the day, you know, you promised one thing, but you failed to deliver. And, you know what, these, these, these so-called pitchforks for the coach... Look, it's a natural reaction because obviously at the end of the day, he picks the sides, and if they're not performing, he's number one. He's number one responsibility, and and accountable. Yep. Being Australia's favourite team comes with expectations. It's something that this 
material sim is starting to having to really get used to it. Not just their own expectations of what they know they can achieve, but also the country's expectations are through the roof, and they'll be through the roof next year as well. But just just bring you to my point, we won't transition to the soccer in a minute, James. But with Australian football, we need to learn some serious lessons after this week in Asia. I'm you know, the thing that annoys me the most. It's not even the performances on the field because some of that I kind of saw coming. It's the reaction and the stuff people bring up. Stuff like, oh, we've got to focus on team spirit and camaraderie and physicality. Like other teams in Asia don't have these attributes. No. Technical skill is what we need to focus on. And whenever you try and start a conversation like that in this country, it's that other rubbish that comes up. Can we just stop with that, please? We need some serious people at Football Australia to do a proper report into this because it's a, that's the problem. We break down in key moments because of technique, not because we don't have team spirit. We've always had that. Every other team in Asia has that. And physicality, I think it's been proven, is not the way forward. It's not a... We can't just bully teams off the ball in Asia. Maybe you could at first on reputation, but not anymore. We need to get better in the way we play our football. Yeah, it comes back to it comes back to again. I, I thought this was just something that the men's the men's team um, did, but I think it's also starting to bleed in with the women as well. Is that again? It seems to be like the disrespect. Not only, like I'm, I'm not saying that the players themselves do it, but there's this air of arrogance that you know basically that they can just march into Asia, you know, be physical, beat up teams, and you know, and go on with it. And you know, for, for the better part of you know the better part of, of almost a decade and a half. You know, there's only been only on a few occasions where that has actually come up trumps. You know, the men win the Asian Cup, being at home, and uh, the 2010 Matildas, who, who, you know, that was just a very, very good team. Um, so, it's, this, it's also, again, it's this continental, I guess, you know, what I'm trying to find, disrespect, I think, is, is probably a little too harsh, but there's a certain arrogance that, you know, oh, we as Australia can just march into Asia like we did, like we did in Oceania, but we're actually getting pushback, and we're actually getting teams who are technically better than us, and then we're sort of questioning our heads, go, oh, how the hell did this go wrong? It's simple. You didn't respect, you know, your continental rivals. And we're not producing players that are well, good enough either, James. We're not producing the players that we used to produce here. Look at where our players are playing on the men's side now. I know our women's players are playing at the highest level, but on the men's side, we're not producing the players either. So that needs to be looked at as well. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say as well, talking about this whole bully ball approach that we're seeing, you know, having that Aussie fighting spirit and all of that, great. But as you've just said, like, you also need the players to actually play that way as well because I would argue that some of the best teams I've seen play bully ball were also some of the most skilled teams. You look at, like, Jose Mourinho's Chelsea side. Like, they would just run through you, but they could also pass around you and, you know, have different ways to win. It feels like right now... I will echo a point that I've seen uh, Vince Regari make a couple of times in the last few days as well, because I kind of agree with it. Any discussion of trying to make Australia actually a good footballing side, like we saw Ange trying to do in his time with the national team, you know, trying to capitalise on players' skills, unlocking someone like Tom Rogic, he gets criticised for it because, for some reason, there's this weird mix of wanting to you know, capitalise on the underdog storyline while still being seen as the big bad Aussies. And for me, the fact of the matter is, you aren't really playing to the uh, side that you have right now. And 
Yeah, like we, we know how good the Matildas can be. We know what the players can be like on their day. But you look at someone like Claire Polkinghorne. Sure, she can, you know, knock a striker or a winger or a central midfielder off the ball. But watch how she reads the game. She doesn't, you know, just run through people for the sake of running through them. She can read the game and use her brain to actually work out the best way to defend a situation. You look at, you know, all the good players. That's the way they do it. It's not about, you know, just fighting and everything. It's about being smarter. And maybe, you know, more so for the Socceroos, this is where you're going to have to learn to get by on smarts if you're not necessarily able to capitalise on your skill. Hard to get by with smarts at the Socceroos with that guy in charge. Yes. <laughs> just, right, just well, sorry, one, just one final point on on the Matildas as well. I think that's, I think that there's uh, there's also the spectre which hasn't helped of obviously you know Alan Stadich's success with the Philippines as well. They they're semi-finals bound. Um, look, you can make what you will about the way the draw panned out and whatnot, but at the end of the day. He he's he's going to the World Cup, you know, with, with, with a nation that actually you know qualified in their own right. Look, Australia are going to the World Cup because they're the hosts, and that that's a, and really that's a big distinction on that, which is is not a pleasant thought because we all thought, and even even the AFC in their planning, the good the good thing with with Australia getting beat from AFC House's point of view is that they don't have to program a whole heap of repercharge games to figure out who's going to make the um, the finals because it's simple. The four semi-finals are all are all qualified and it saved them a couple of matches. So, but um, look, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of this whole oh what would Alan Sadich have done and all that because that's that's old news and all that and so much uh, water's under the bridge. But look, certainly has that culture that you know that leaked through that and I almost I almost feel like you know the, the deeper lying issue is you know the the un, the uncomfortable question about are there players in that squad at the moment? And yes, we call them the best squad that the Matildas can put out, but are a couple of those players, have they sort of passed their use-by date? And look, I'm not, I'm not going to name names. I think I think we all know who we're talking about. But I think there's a number of players in that team that are probably there on reputation more than skill and hoping for them to turn it around and you know actually show up and become the world-class players that we thought they were once upon a time. Um, look... I think you just lead to a road to ruin, really, on that. And, you know, by the time it's too late, you know, and I think I think we're at that crossroads. It's probably a couple of players, James, who've moved from the quality starting player into that super sub type of a role. And the unfortunate thing is there's a couple of positives in this tournament were Holly McManara and Courtney Vine. They, were, they played really well when they were on the field in this Asian Cup. So there are a couple of positives to take out of it, but you're really clutching at straws. So they're, they're two players who... You can probably build around the next 12 months to have a part to play in the World Cup, but you're clutching at straws in terms of the positive. To Adam's point, if this was in Colombia, we wouldn't have qualified. And that that's just a completely unacceptable outcome for Australian football and this national team. Yeah, and on that as well, like, this isn't fun for us. We'd much rather be talking about the Matildas marching their way through the tournament, playing good football, and getting, you know, onto hopefully uh, another continental title because you know I'm going to be honest and go go out on a limb here watching your team win a lot more fun than watching them lose but I do kind of feel like well my final point on the Matildas too is when they uh, I kind of feel like they gained a bit more global recognition in that 2016-17 sort of range after when was that World Cup 2015 
Well, sort of after that, when they went to that tournament in yeah, tournaments. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of went from the, they went from being seen as a decent team full of okay players to actually being a proper like top flight footballing nation in the game. And I kind of feel like they can't really call themselves the plucky underdogs anymore. And now with the players going to those big clubs over in Europe, maybe there's a bit more of a scouting report out on them. And this is where you need to see them adding to their games to try and find ways to counter that. Like it, it's not, it's not just a football thing. It's all over. To me, that is something that they should really be looking at trying to develop in their game so that, yeah, okay, you're expected to win. The other team's going to go out of their way to try and stop what you do best. But find a plan B, find a plan C, find a plan D, because that, above all else, is what let them down in this Asian Cup quarterfinal. Yeah, That's look, really all I can I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll add to that and say, uh, like I said, and I said it in our previews, that you want, you'd hope that someone other than Sam Kerr uh, would have stepped up and you know scored more goals. You know, someone someone like you know, um, you know, a Mary Fowler who did score one good goal, but that's about it. Because at the moment, it seems to be the only game plan is get to Sam Kerr and she'll do the rest. And you see what happens when she has an off day. Look, she's she's not a robot. She she may be you know, quote the second best player in the world right now, but she's not going to be able to do it every single day. So you need someone else. To carry that, and until they come up with a multifaceted, you know, um, and reliable attack, yeah, teams are just going to run down. But yeah, and Scott, the better, final thought. And the better teams, to your point, Adam, will nullify her at the World Cup level. When you get to the, if the Mitchells do it's that quarterfinal, semi-final level, playing against the elite teams of the world, they will find a way to to, to take her out of the game. And say, Someone else beat us. You look at who look at the games like World Cup semi-finals, World Cup finals. It's not normally the team's star players who win you those games, because the opposition will spend the whole time preparing to nullify them, and then somebody else will slip slip around the side and beat you. So the Matildas are going to have to find that secondary threat outside of Sam Kerr to perform at that highest level in the next twelve months. Not I just go back. Do. I go back to the twenty fourteen men's World Cup final. Like you would have thought it would have been you know, Leo Messi or uh, Thomas Muller or one of the big-name players to decide that final. You know who scored the winning goal? Mario Goetze, who came off the bench. Now, he's a pretty solid player at the time as well, but if, if you're pulling names out of a hat to be the first uh, goal scorer, and if he's the name you get, you're thinking, ah, oh, bugger. It, it's that, having that supporting cast, and that's what every good team does. Go back and look at, say, even those title-winning uh, Raw sides that won three out of four A-League Grand Finals. Sure, they had Thomas Broich. Sure, they had Bessart Barisha, whose uh, retirement we will get onto at the end of the show as well. Is um, It's the fact that they had that supporting cast. They had, you know, the midfielders. I remember, was it um, Steve Lustica in that Mike Mulvey Grand Final as well? You had Costa Barbarousas. You had Enrique. that... Enrique. Yeah, two. Enrique. Exactly. How could I forget Enrique? But yeah, you look at those players and you go, that's how they win the game. It's not from how... Like, you obviously need the superstars, but it's having those other players as well. And that's what's uh, missing right now. It feels like you've got a bunch of, you know, top-line players and then a whole lot of C-grade players who need to find a way to step up. And whether and right now they're seeing a C-grade players, whether it's through on-field performance, a lack of a reputation so far, or something else. 
Right. Still got some energy left there, Scott? Absolutely. This will be fun, this discussion. Yeah. How about this. you, Adam? No, I'm not, actually, I'm not enjoying this. I'd much rather be talking about two wins, to be honest. But Well, we I did try and find... I did try and find a uh, grab from Billy Madison to describe the Socceroos 2-2 draw with Oman in the early hours of this morning where Adam Sandler just screams at the camera, You blew it! Because that's pretty much what they did. Needing a win to try and keep pace uh, with Japan and Saudi Arabia. Socceroos let a lead lead slip twice in the second half. And, well, most people who were watching that game were left to put their heads through the respective coffee tables. Adam... Have you recovered from that? Um, yeah, still lacking sleep. But yeah, look, um, it, it's it's a tough one. Uh, look, I, I'm not going to go, like I said, I'm not going to go two feet in and, and, and machines in both hands at, at the Socceroos yet. Because where there's still, unlike the Matildas where they blew it at a finals tournament, um, the Socceroos... Look, it's not great, and they're in a very, very precarious situation. But I think it's going to be performances from um, from the past games which are going to you know condemn them. Like, and look, and this and this loss to Oman is one of them. Will be one of them. That and the China draw in Sharjah, which you know, it, it, it seems funny that you know that other than the loss to Japan, uh, the, the Socceroos results-wise are, are turning them over, but. Um, yeah, it, it performs last. I mean, look, there's no un, no denying as well. Oman last night were playing without a number of their of their best players because they've had COVID run through their camp. I think they lost three top uh, first team players and seven in total. So this is basically a second string uh, Oman team. And you know, while you know playing a musket is is tough as you know previous Socceroos teams have found out over the past decade, um, you would expect that they would have gone in and basically kept their, their automatic qualification hopes in their own hands. But I will say that one positive was the um, goal that Aaron Moy scored in the second half. That was, that was a, you know, a quite nifty little bit of um, bit of play. So more of that would, would be nice. But overall, it was, um, yeah, it was a fairly, you know, ordinary, uninspiring performance. This is a group split in two, James. You've got three teams at the top and three that are completely out of it now. And Oman are in that bottom group. And Australia, this is... They've dropped way too many points to teams in that bottom half, James. They dropped points to China last time out as well. Last time out, don't forget. They've won one of the last five. So everyone's saying they've got two must-win games now against Japan and Saudi Arabia, who just happen to be leading the group and on their way to the World Cup, in my opinion. Everyone's saying it's in Australia. No, it's not in our hands. We have played played ourselves out of it being in our hands. It should have been in our hands with the start we had. Three wins well, out actually, three. no, hang on. Three, let me, I'll get to the math next minute, but the three wins out of three to start, then you go one win out of the next five. It went from being in our hands to now we are hoping for, frankly, a miracle. Because it might still technically be in our hands. Oh, if we win both games and Japan don't beat Vietnam by enough, we could get through on goal difference, but come on. Let's come on. It's not It's not likely, is it? it it's a, no, a, but... a 1% chance at best that it's in our hands. It's not. Except that is the literal definition of in our hands. No, it's not. It's not. Come on. Look, do you really think we can beat Japan and then go to Saudi Arabia four days later and win that game? No, but no, but that's not in their hands. It's not. It's if they if they can if they take care of their business, then they go to the World Cup. I'm not saying they will, but 
that is the literal definition of still in their own hands. Do you remember that rare from Alexi Lalas like four or five years ago that we all had a good laugh at? And, and I remember saying <laughs> on this I, show, don't laugh too hard because that could very well be us in the future. Well, guess what? It is us right now. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just taking issue with your choice of phrase there because, you know, in terms of uh, official English language, it is still technically in the Socceroos' control. If they, if they win their two remaining games, not that they will, then, yeah, it's it's unlikely that they're going to qualify right now. But anyway, that's just the... Uh, so they're not going to qualify that, automatically. Let's just make, okay, I cannot see them. They might beat Japan. That's actually the ironic thing of this. The Japan home game is probably the easier of the two games. I think Saudi away, given our history of playing in the Middle East and how much they're going to be banging for blood over there, I think that's a harder game. They might not yeah. be as good of a team as Japan as we saw last night, but I think it's a harder game for Australia to go there and have to win than a home game. But that's where that's the unpredictability of this whole situation. Where okay, say Australia beats Japan, you know, let can we can we just play along with this hypothetical for the moment? Say Australia beats Japan in Sydney, not Brisbane. So they do that. And Saudi Arabia wins their match day uh, seven fixture, which I'm just trying to bring up now, once Flash Score decides to cooperate. Um, yes, so Saudi Arabia, they play in China. So let's assume Australia gets three points, Saudi Arabia gets three points. Saudi Arabia's through to the World Cup. What motivation do they have to go all out on that final match day because we have seen teams say no you know what it's a it's a rough um it's a you know been a long qualification perspective we might want to get some rest into the players legs that's the big unknown about all of this you are aware how much they dislike australia in the afc in that part of the world right that's their motivation yeah but so they also hate the japanese ref in we're not letting you qualify we don't really think you should be in asia and here's a nice present for you go through the playoffs that's their motivation. But do they like Japan? They probably tolerate Japan much more than they tolerate us being in Asia. I'm Let's just, be fair. That's, what that. That's their motivation. Yeah, but also they may... I'm just saying there's more than one possible outcome here. Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, I think, yeah, look, mathematics is one thing and that the Socceroos, you know, they win both. Then there's a good chance that they... I think they do. They, I think they, they will... They are in. They are in. So that, that's obviously Japan, the, the challenge yeah. that's set forth. But look, I, I've got to be honest and be real. Um, I just cannot see where the Socceroos are getting fined six out of six points. Um, look, even even if they beat Japan, um, which would be something that would be the first time in almost um, in about seven years that they would actually beat that actually beat Japan, or it might be longer than that. Two thousand nine, um, wasn't it? Two thousand nine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. MCG the two thousand. Yeah. So you're asking to do something that's 13 years in the making, um, you know. To, to, that, that's the that's the first hurdle. Then to go to to, to Jeddah, and potentially you know, and potentially you know try and pull it, knowing full well that you know they that you know they're going to have to um they're going to probably have like Saudi Arabia going to have to get something out of that. So it's 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 going to be tough, but um, yeah, it's it's one of those, it's one of those um, weird things that you know. I guess it's a, it's a case of this. All the Socceroos can do is worry about themselves. I think the permutations about even who is who's going to be on the other side come come the playoffs, which 
I'm pretty certain that's going to be UAE. I think the um, I think even the UAE, map, isn't it? Uh, I'm not too sure. I haven't looked at the other side yet. Oh, please. But um, you go. keep talking. Yeah, but uh, I know I know that Iran and South Korea have qualified on the other side. There, there, there's so there's no way UAE are even a hope of um getting in the auto qualifiers. So. Okay, as it stands after eight match days, Iran, 22 points uh, qualified. South Korea, 20 points qualified. You have UAE, nine points from eight matches. Lebanon, six points from eight matches. Iraq, five points from eight matches. And officially eliminated, Syria, two points from eight matches. So it may not be even UAE. Um, yeah, and look, I'll be honest. I just want to follow up on this quickly, and then we'll get back to you, Adam. But let, yeah, I, you can't even assume it's going to be the UAE because, quite frank, I haven't seen any of their matches. But eight games, six goals scored, six allowed. It, it may be, you know, a case of who can fall over the line in that group as well. Oh, look. To be honest, it doesn't matter between it doesn't matter between UAE, Lebanon, Syria. They're all Middle Eastern teams, and Australia has just got a, such a poor record against um, the, those Gulf and Middle East teams. Which why it doesn't give me, give me much hope them even going to Jeddah if it's even still alive um, to, to auto qualify, getting maximum points out of there because um, just just yeah, they just do not play well, and they, the 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 weather is going to be oppressive as well. Um, I think um, come playoff time in Doha, it's in going June. to be 29 degrees at night. So they're 42 degrees during the day. So it's, like I said, not only uh, they play, play tough sides, but also the weather is going to be an issue. But I think that's isn't that the whole reason why there's not a World Cup in, in June, July uh, this year in that part of the world because of the heat? And Australia now expected to go there and go and and potentially in the worst case scenario, thankfully, is at least they'll get a shot at that. I say this is this conversation would be even worse if if Oman all of a sudden were a fighting chance of pipping him for third. But at least at least that one point, if we're looking for any positives, is that at least that Australia we know will finish third in the group at a very minimum, uh, even if they lose both games. Um, and at least then they've got to go a long way on the road to Qatar. Yeah, can we just look ahead briefly? And I don't mean looking ahead to the potential 2005 rematch. That is so far down the line, it's not even worth looking at. But you mentioned the UAE. That's, at the moment, probably who Australia will play. I think they will fall over the line. But to your point, it is no sure thing. UAE in Doha in June. That's a tough ask. Because they're a useless condition. And don't forget... It was the UAE who knocked Australia out of the Asian Cup in 2019, and they deserved their win on that night. That was not some sort of fluke result that nobody saw coming. No, no, no. They deserved their win that night as well. So their record against Australia is pretty good in the Middle East. So the idea of any South American matchup, park that for the moment, because if they don't get over the line in these last two games, UAE is a tough ass to begin with over there. Well, okay, just... On that as well, are we sure it's actually going to be in Doha? Because yeah, it's neutral. Oh, I'm seeing... They're all in yeah. Doha, Middle East. One-off games in Doha in the June international okay. window. About I'm just looking up something that says... four days between the games. That obviously, we play the you play the Asian team first, and if whoever wins, we go on and play South American fifth-place side. But even but uh, even uh, if... Take, take, for example, the, the playoff is in... Um, the, the playoff is in uh, Dubai. 
or Abu Dhabi, the weather's going to be the same. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it is in that in that part of the world. The only factor that would change is that if somehow miraculously uh, Australia get the home tie, which then yes, you're right, that might change. That might change uh, things at the moment, but as far as I understand it, um, yeah, these 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 intercontinental playoffs, the intercontinental and the intercontinental playoffs are going to be in a neutral venue, and I think Qatar, I think it's is where it's going to be. Which is Along basically with the, a home game for the UAE. Let's be honest, yeah. it's basically a home game for them. The um, interconfed, from what I'm seeing so far, interconfederation playoffs are going to be on the 13th or 14th of June in Qatar. Yep. So there you go, but. Let's bring this back to the Socceroos now and discuss the fact that, you know, mathematically, they still have a chance. If they, So the question is, what the hell do they do from here? Because that was not good enough this morning. They let, games go, uh, they let that lead slip twice. Now, I still have questions about that penalty in the 89th minute. But, it, like, the fact of the matter is, they, the scoreboard reflects what it was. And for me, do you go all out thinking, okay, there is still a chance if they can go win? Do you bring in someone like Cameron Devlin or Nathaniel Atkinson to try and just freshen things up in the team? But do you do it with an eye on, okay, we need to find a best possible combination for these uh, playoffs? Or do you try and, I suppose, bandage over the cracks and secure direct qualification? They tried that in this last camp. They brought seven or eight new players in. I think now they've got to settle on a set team. Right, this is the team we think can qualify in these four matches. You look at it as four games. Japan, Saudi Arabia, probably the UAE, and then whoever it is in South America. What's the team that can beat those teams? Because I don't think... But, any, it's tried a lot of players, James, and so far, none of them have proven to be greatly better than the Like Karasic versus Ryan Grant versus Nathaniel Atkinson. There's not much difference between any of them. They're all about the same. So pick the one you think is the best for the way you want to play and stick with them. As an example, just go with go with an 11 to win the games. Experimental has looking... to be done. They've tried a lot of players, and I don't think anybody who's really come in and... I don't think there's anyone outside of the squad, I should say, who's, apart from Abel who's injured, who can like say they would make a massive difference. I don't think there's those players out there. We're just not producing those difference makers at the moment. The, the, well, X, can... the X factor... For, uh, for the Socceroos, unfortunately, he's out with a ACL. That that is in yep. Harry Suter. He makes a huge difference. He's but he's gone. So I look to to Scott's point. I I tend to agree. There, look, if it's now a case of Graham Arnold, Rene Mulstein, the rest of of the, the staff have to now make a decision based on who are the best 23 players that Australia can call up and go for it. And basically, they are putting their their basic, their reputations and their, you know, their, I guess their, their tenures with the Socceroos on the line to get to the World Cup. I don't think there's any more running or hiding as far as accountability goes. I think it's, I think we're far past experimentation and and all that. They've got to go with the 23 best players available, you know, you know, ahead of the March qualifiers, and they've got to go for broke. I, I don't think it's, I can't think of anyone out there that any, any Australian player. That's eligible. That can't maybe change. Maybe there may be one um, that might be an X factor. I'm thinking it might be someone like a Christian Valpardo. But again, he's a young player. You're asking a lot of. I think basically if they've seen who, whoever they can bring up, you're just going to go for the 23, and you've got to go all in. It's as simple as that. 
because I don't think there are any other other options now. I have to admit, I kind of disagree with the idea that there has been some experimentation, just especially looking at the lineup uh, from this morning. McLaren, Boyle, Rogic, Lecky, Moy, Irvine, Karasic, Degenek, Sainsbury, Bayich, and Ryan. That's probably eight of the, you know, uh, what Graham Arnold has relied on throughout this whole tournament, one of which was uh, an enforced change through injury. And they're all players that have really struggled at different points in time. So I'm not sure how much... Uh, and then you go back to the substitutes. Mitch Duke, Craig Goodwin, he's probably the closest thing you would say to a bolter yeah. in this squad. Yeah, he had Krustich. a good game uh, when he came on. I mean, if, yes. we're looking, if we're looking for positives um, in Musket, look, I thought Craig Goodwin was actually quite handy when he came off the bench. Yeah. I'll ask you a question, and then James. Who would you, who would you bring into the side? I would have, honestly, I would be, I would have been starting based on their form for Melbourne City. I would have swapped Andrew Naboot and Matthew uh, Matthew Lecky for starters. Lecky for me has been, that Lecky has been an utter disappointment so far. And comparatively, like Naboot, okay, yes, it's not going to be the same sort of competition he's facing in the A-League men's at the moment compared to a World Cup qualifier. But he's at least producing for Melbourne City right now. And he's doing it, like he's in a fairly good vein of form. You also look at Hrustic, Jago, McGowan. Not none of those guys are really recent uh, additions to the squad. Maybe Jago from memory, but then the un- unused players on the bench: Brandon Borello. Like, congratulations, you got a free trip uh, to do some training. Like, why isn't he at least getting a shot? Then you've also got Joel King, who uh, we knew wasn't going to play based on his uh, recent move to France. Uh, to Denmark. I don't think. Yeah. Either way, Connor Metcalf, Marco Tilio. What have you got to lose at the moment throwing those guys in as opposed to the players that have, you know, as you've said, Scott, really, uh, really struggled in recent times where heading into the game had won one of their last four. And then you also look at some of the guys who weren't in the squad. Uh, again, I'll bring him up. Cameron Devlin, Nathaniel Atkinson. There are other options for them to go to. And quite frankly, it is a case of Arnie, for me, playing it safe and trying to overly simplify things. And that, to me, is where the biggest letdown has been, is the fact that when, you know, things start to break down, and weirdly enough, I haven't heard anywhere near as much criticism of uh, people suggesting that Arnie might not be up for the job than Gustafsson. Gee, I wonder why. But overall, I just... uh, To me, I kind of feel like they need to almost just roll the dice for these last two qualifiers and say, all right... We're either going to bring in players that can massively arrest this form side because while, you know, we did have that debate over in their hands, at some point, I think we're all in unanimous agreement that they do need a mega 180 to hold out any hope of even just playing well going into the playoffs. Like, take, you know, take all the in their own hands business out. They need to be playing a lot better. Whether they get direct qualification or they have to go through the playoffs... They need to be playing better. It do- it doesn't matter what the idea. It doesn't matter how they are going to have to play their matches in twenty twenty two. That's what I just keep coming back to. Overall, that's where their main issue has been. They're just not playing well enough. Well, why don't we park the team discussion here, and over the next week we'll all sit down and work out what our what eleven we would pick for the Japan game, and we'll bring it on the air next week. So I think can can I think, you remind me about? Because I think that can you remind be a me about three o'clock discussion. next Wednesday. It could be a fascinating discussion because I reckon we'll all have different opinions on yeah. what the best eleven would be for that. 
Yeah, yeah. I, you're right. I, I'll probably need a week to think about that because that right now, my where my opinion is at is that look, I I think at the end of the day is you've got to look at every option and it's it's up to Graham Arnold now to earn the money that he's getting paid by by Football Australia and pick the best 23 players. I don't, but I don't know who that 23 is. I don't think he knows. And that's the problem. I don't think he knows who the best 23 players to get the job done for potentially four matches to get Australia to Qatar. There's about you know, I will say you can throw a blanket over, isn't there? Yeah, and I, like I said, I he's got, and he's got to he's got to lean on his staff. He needs to lean on whatever resource he has. But we just need to go for broke now, and yeah, you know, and if it means that you know what that they don't, it's not good enough to get through the automatic qualifying, which that would be the best case scenario. Get ready for. You know, two matches against the top two teams in this group, and then two do-or-die matches on you know on the road to Qatar, and you're either going to live by the sword or die by the sword. I think that's the only way you can look at it from from here, because I think uh, the more and more you try and sort of think about the permutations and all that, and who goes where, um, you're just gonna you're just gonna tie yourself in knots. I can I can say right now, looking at the squad that took to the pitch this morning, I maybe five players. I, that would probably retain their spot if I was Socceroos coach. Like that's, and to me that is being somewhat generous. And for me, it's a case of McLaren, Rogic, Moy, Sainsbury, and Ryan. They're the fi- they're the five that I would probably look at and say, all right, you're good. Degenek, I guess, because well, Harry Sutar is injured, but overall, that's maybe where I'd leave it right now, and that. And yeah, that's all I really can say on that matter because, quite frankly, a lot will probably change between now and March. Cause I can, yeah, because I can guarantee my front my front three of McLaren and uh, Craig Goodwin and a to be determined right winger, which may still turn out to be Martin Boyle. I kind of feel like it's going to have quite a. Uh, it's a lot can change between now and then. That's all I'm going to leave it at. Now, we will finish back on a Brisbane Raw note as we wrap up this fairly lengthy edition of the Brisbane Football Review. And we will say Bessart Barisha was... Uh, a, he finally announced his retirement earlier in the past week and we should just say big congratulations to him for what was a stellar career. Scott, yes. what was your favourite uh, memory of Barisha? Well, if we just to go away from the obvious, which was the grand final goals, it's just the fact that in the big moments, in the big games, he was the one. He was the player you looked at and thought he's going to win us this game or win Brisbane this game. That's what he did. He was just an absolute winner. He just captured everything that winning can can be. And it wasn't just his goals. His defensive pressure was outstanding. His all around game was absolutely brilliant and. One memory which I have of him, which I don't think too many people bring up very often, is it was the 2013-14 season. And Brisbane were at the towards the back end of it. They were just starting to go through a little bit of a a wobble in form, and, and teams were closing in on them. They played Adelaide at home on a Sunday afternoon, and Bessart Bridges scored twice in a virtuoso man of the match performance to win them that game, and basically set up the title winner winning match the week after. That's the sort of game where Bessart Bridges stands up and does his best work. That's what I remember him for. In the games where you've really got to have it, he delivers. Adam? Uh, look, yeah, look, a big game best, so I like to call him. I agree. Yeah, that's 
uh, that's probably the um, you know, the one memory, I guess, you know, in capturing the whole career at Brisbane Raw and even at Melbourne Victory as well. Um, in the big games, he stepped up. Um, look, for me, the fondest memory I have of him was when he actually announced his arrival um, you know, to the Raw when you know, he scored four goals against um, Adelaide United, that 7-1 demolition. You know, and the way he did it, you saw, thought, you saw immediately thinking, oh, wow, we've, got, we've actually got the striker that we need. And you've got to remember that was, you know, we'd just come off a title with pretty much a makeshift strike line. You know, when you, you're asking guys like, you know, you know Acosta Barbarousas, you know, to, to lead the line, but we actually had a genuine striker and you're thinking, wow, how, how, how good is this? But I guess the other, the other one, um, the other memory I have, which probably is more infamous memory, well, who can forget, you know, that, that conclusion to that, uh, that game in Sydney and Pascal Bochart. You, know, you, don't, you don't condone that sort of stuff in 2021, but back in 2013, um, yeah, that was that was a good night for all. And um, yeah, that's, that's a memory that will live long. And that actually just showed his passion for the game. And people may not like it, but oh, no, like I said, yeah. this, that, was, that was best apparition. You know, I guess this is a bad, it's a bad side. You didn't, like I said, you don't want to condone that sort of thing, but you know, that was best. So and great uh, uh, well, as well, that's another game the Raw had to have, and who stood up? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was also that game that Broich came back from injury and Enrique as well, and that really did swing their season back um, to event that eventual grand final win. But I would call him the uh, master of the Milton melee, but the Milton melee tends to happen on Caxton Street. I would say at least three or four times every weekend. I hear it's going to be a venue for the Olympic boxing in 2032. <laughs> Probably should be. Anyway, yes, well, that would that was actually going to be my memory of him as well on the field. But I actually remember it was his first season in Brisbane. It was a Sunday morning after they'd played Saturday after the game. I was at um, South Bank with my, well, now wife. And he was just playing with his kid in the uh, park at South Bank. And it was just weird thinking like, okay, yeah, I've just seen him, you know, playing striker for the Raw last night. And now he's just sitting in the park and... Decided to be polite and stay the hell away from him because, well, it didn't seem like he wanted to be bothered. But, yeah, it was just one of those nice memories of just reminding, like, the guy on the field was a polar opposite for the person on the field. On on the pitch, I would not have been surprised if he actually seriously considered taking off his boot and trying to stab somebody with it. Off the pitch, I think he would have been... Yeah, it sounds like he was just the nicest guy. And also... The other uh, big highlight as well, which they played on the big screen on Saturday night, was his karaoke rendition oh. of I Will Survive. <laughs> Is that a highlight or a low light? <laughs> that was phenomenal. Anyway, that's, yeah, the big memory. And uh, best of luck in retirement, Bessart Barisha, who, yeah, and actually, yeah, best of luck in retirement. And also it was arguably, I would say, one of the best calls of Simon Hill's A-League career as well was that grand final, I think it was the Perth one, when, like, you know, Broich yeah. crosses to Barisha, Barisha restores parity in the grand final. That's one of those lines that still just lingers in the back of my mind, even, what, closing in on 10 years later. That That's just one of the, yeah, that was just one of those ones that was perfect for the moment. Yeah, love him or hate him, you cannot ignore him. That's it. And... I've got to admit, after that Wanderers Grand Final in 2014, I was genuinely half expecting him to say, yeah, I can't leave this. I'm staying for next year. You know what ruined that, by the way? So many things. Well, the the Raw had the 
when they couldn't when he was moving on they couldn't fit him in the cap if he just waited a couple of months when Ivan Franic had moved on and a couple of players had moved on he could have stayed and who knows what yeah. history could have been like well actually okay this is one final point I do want to make on Bessar Borussia, and we know it's been a long show, so if you've listened to every minute, we very much appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, we normally don't go for longer than 60 minutes for this reason. However, I've got a controversial theory on Bessar Borussia where he is only just sneaking into my top five of all-time Raw players, but in terms of the A-League, he's a top three uh, figure. And this goes back to his moment with... Uh, when he uh, got subbed off for Western United late last season. And I, you know, had the uh, opinion that got a little bit of blowback, saying that I actually feel like he's closer to an A-League legend than a Brisbane Raw legend. Because for me, if you're telling the story of Brisbane Raw, you look at Thomas Broich, Matt Mackay, Enrique, and Claire Polkinghorn. I feel like those four are far more important to the story of Brisbane Raw than what Bessart Barisha was. But when you're telling the story of the A-League, he is probably right up there in terms of best overall players. For me, right behind Broich and Ninkovic, just because of the fact that he was so damn productive at multiple clubs. And with Brisbane, he was only here for three years. He was insanely good in those three years. But that's also kind of where I draw the line and say, yeah, he's actually got more of an all-rounder case than that of uh, being... You know, part of the Brisbane Raw pantheon. Adam, how crazy do I sound right now? Oh, no, not at all. I, I think, um, yeah, look, the thing is, is that it's it's uh, like, well, we only had, like, had um, Russia here for three years, but, you know, obviously you then, you take on his, you add his career on what he did for Melbourne Victory, and even the little bit of pockets, you know, he did, you know, as an Oracle player for, for um, Western United, you know, as, a, as an A-League player, yeah, he, he's, he's in the, easily in the top, you know, three or four best, you know, visa players we've ever, we've ever seen, so, um, yeah, but look, I, I, still, I still rate him as, as you know, not only a Brisbane Raw legend, but I you know Melbourne Victory, they regard him as a legend. And, you know, like I said, and a legend for the A-League. So there's, I think, no more higher honour that you can you can say about Best Apparition. Exactly. Scott, no, final thought? he would be at the back end of that back five when you mentioned the players you mentioned would be probably ahead of him. But he is still the Raw's all-time top goal scorer. So he does have that. Yeah. And one other thing that did come out today, by the way, the Raw's women's goalkeeper coach Brody Sams is heading off to the US. So congratulations. Mm. Tim taking up the opportunity in the NWS. Gotham City. Uh, New York. I'm not great with joke. Got yeah. it. Thank you. New York <laughs> in the NWSL. So congratulations yeah. to him. All right. Well, best of luck for that. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, boys. Thank you, Scott. Hopefully we can have some more positivity on the show next week. Yeah, we'll see if I'm back then. <laughs> Just bring right. soccer. That's We're go- starting 11 with you. Yeah, remind me again about 3 o'clock yeah. next Wednesday. That's going to be homework. <laughs> exactly. That's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with a whole lot more to talk about next week. Talk to you then.